0: Nick and Matt Jackson, you're listening to the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast.
1: To swing. suck it! Welcome to an all new episode of the Work Shoot Wrestling Podcast. This is Corey Richmond joined by Jason Brooks? Our streak of having awesome guests is continuing. We recently had the product David Starr on, and we are continuing with another huge star, Big Vito. You know him from WCW, two time. Champion, taking champion, two-time hardcore champion, had great promos, great matches with such wrestlers as Kevin Nash and Goldberg. He joins us today. Uh, you can find him at thebigvetobrand.com. Big Veto, how you doing?
2: I just want to say I'm so excited to do this interview, guys. Corey, Jason, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. You know, these guys have been real patient with the B-I-G-V from the L-O-G. That's my street cred name. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, uh, you know, these guys have been real patient. We've been trying to get this podcast going for for quite a while. And thanks to uh, the powers to be, which is uh, my wife, the head of office, they've been able to schedule this so everybody could be on at the same time and have a great interview. Um, Thank you guys for having me. I greatly appreciate you doing this for me. So, guys, whatever questions you got to all the fans out there listening to this podcast, sit back. We're going to have a lot of good questions. And, um, you know, I think uh, I used to have a, a good slogan. I forget how it goes because I started this new thing with the B.I.G.V. from the L.O.G. You know, I'm the Pavarotti from hard shots to the body. This Paisan on. has got it going on. That fly Italian guy from S.I., you know, I'm an ECW original a two-time WCW tag team champion, hardcore champion. I'm a member of the NYC and TNA, and the toughest man to ever wear a dress from the WWE, the one, the only, big Vito LaGrasso from Staten Island, New York, you know, superstar in rent a car, movie star, and who in the hell is The Rock? Let's go, fellas. (laughs) All right, so,
0: Vito, the first question I wanna ask you, I was gonna ask you about starting off in wrestling whatever, I'm just going to do the, the first question off the bat that everybody wants to know. Wear in a dress as a pro wrestler. Tell us about that angle. How did it start? Were
2: you okay with it? Like, tell us the origins of what happened with that angle. So, it was me and Nunzio when I broke in. When I, you know, guys, if you guys don't remember, I started out in the WWF back in 1991. So I had been working on and off of that company for a very long time. And then going through the ranks and the territories and finally winding up there 15 years later, It's like you go full circle. So when I brought me in, I came in with Nunzio on the first night we win the Cruiserweight title, and uh, you know, me and Nunzio became a tag team and then they uh, wanted to separate us. So they were co- trying to come together with something that could be for me. So they were throwing around a lot of ideas and they came, uh, Stephanie and Vince came to me and they said, how would you feel about wearing a dress? So I says, uh, you know, I said, I guess it'd be okay. And they says, you think you could do it every day? I said, yeah. I said, at the time, I says, well, one-on-one, I know I can handle myself six against one. Uh, I might get my ass kicked, but I'm going to take two or three with me. So I show up to wear the dress. I total kayfabe, total, you know, total, you know, everything for the business to make the people believe. Because back then, if you don't make them believe and you just shoot, you go in in a suit and tie to work, you go out and wear a dress, you pull a shit, but I wore a dress everywhere. You know what I mean? I traveled in it. I did everything in it. So the people were like, wow, he really is living it. He's doing it. So with all the vignettes, everything, the people believe, the people got behind it. It was a great experience. I, I got to tell you guys, that, you know, if you're ever thinking about you're in a slump where, you know, with the ladies, throw a dress on because the chicks <laughs> dig it, man. The chicks dig it. I'm telling you, there are freaks out there. You know, there were married women, old women, divorced women, on the side women, right? And the thing that sucked was that when I went home and I put my regular clothes on, nobody would even look at me. I couldn't get a sniff. It's said, shit, I'm in a slump. Let me put the dress on. And bang, there it was. 10 numbers in my phone. You know, I was a Mac daddy. You know, but uh, it's, it was a good thing, man. Uh, I got to say, it was my personality came out. I was smiling. I was happy. I was enjoying life. You know, it was the greatest time. I was the most recognizable pro athlete, you know, in sports. I got to do Playgirl magazine. You know, I got the centerfold very tastefully. Uh, I got to hang with a lot of great people. I got to do a lot of great things. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, I was, it was very sad when I had to end it, and they told me it was over. So I went home to empty my closet, and I had more women's clothes than men's clothes. <laughs> Why did it end? Michael Hayes came in. He was the new writer of SmackDown. And because of his beliefs on certain things, he didn't want a guy in a dress on his show. So they ended it. That is the truth. And that's the way it was. Wow. If you read between the lines, you guys are the, you yeah. know, understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. So uh, that's why it ended.
1: Wow. That's pretty crazy that you... Uh... When you were in WCW, you uh, you split the uh, the hardcore title with uh, your partner, uh, being defended with the the Freebird rule, and then all of a sudden, a member of the Freebirds decided to basically kill your push. Kind of uh, interesting on that on that end. But uh, what you brought up Vince McMahon a, a moment ago. You worked in WWE, WCW, ECW. Three major people in the industry. You you had created for you, Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman, and, uh, Vince Russo. I know this is kind of a loaded question, but what would you say would be like the differences or the similarities of working with those three of the most creative minds, you know, in the industry?
2: Paul Heyman is a motivator, right? So when he motivates you and you get there to the show and you get into your, you know, get into what you're doing and, you know, the realm of things, being at ECW was a, a cult following and it had a great, I know, a lot of great fans and a lot of great things. You know, we had a lot of great wrestlers come through there, and we had a lot of talent. If there was money back in it and we we're able to float on TV, maybe it would have stayed, stayed open a little longer, which I think it would have. You know, but Paul Heyman had a great vision. He saw it through. He stayed open for a long time, and uh, you know, the best thing about Paul Heyman is a motivator. When it comes to Vince McMahon. You know, he's in business for a long time, and he's, he is where he is because there's one rule. Whatever Vince says goes, nobody discur- you know, argues it. If you don't like it, you know, okay, then you're not on board with Vince. And as you know, Vince likes yes men. Vince likes guys who agree. He doesn't like the ideas or people bucking the system. And at the end of the day, it's his show, so whatever he says goes. So, you know, the one thing that you always were liked about Vince was that if he could do it, I could do it. So if he went out there and he got his head smashed open with a garbage can, stitches, hardcore matches, doing all this stuff, shoving his face up people's asses, then, you know, can you say that you can't do the same thing? Maybe it's not that extreme, but, you know, if given the chance, you know, maybe Vince would have put on a dress. Maybe people would have thought it was cool. What happens if Batista would have came out to be my tag team partner in a dress? Everybody would have said, "Oh shit, this is over. This is the greatest thing ever, right?" But I mean, it's it's in that way that uh, you know, it it just you know, it happens. And when you come to Vince Russo, I mean, he's creative. He's over the top. He created new stars. He created created stars in every stop along the way. When he had the Attitude was in the WWF, he created stars. When he went to WCW. He brought up new stars. He gave a chance to the young guys to break in, to make them people, make them players in the game. When we were in TNA, he did the same thing. He took a group of guys. He wrote storylines. He made some new stars, you know, and you talk about him being creative. And every time, you know, we look at um, wrestling today. What do you look at? You look at the old stuff. You look at WCW. You look at the WWF days. You look at the old things that were created back then. Because everybody finds it more interesting to what is going on today. And then when you talk about ratings, Vince Russo had all the ratings. He never had a decrease. He always had an increase. So what do you say about Vince Russo? You have to give him he uh, he was successful in what he did. So, I mean, you know, a lot of good points for a lot of good guys. You try to talk about negatives. We don't do negatives, you know, and we just bring out the positive things. Does everybody have flaws? Of course they do. Does everybody have negatives? Of course they do. But when you talk about the positive effect they had on wrestling, they were all successful and positive influence in the wrestling industry.
0: Now, Vito, you've been everywhere. And you had a stint from 1990. You started in 1990. This is according to Wikipedia anyway. Started in 1990. You were, you know, enhancement Talent, WWF, WWE, WF, whatever, in 91. Memphis in 94. And then an ECW in 99. Like, how did that, how much of a grind was that from 1990 to 99 really, till you kind of broke, you know, broke out, so to speak?
2: Well, when you're doing the uh, enhancement talent, you know, work, when you went with the WWF, you know, everybody says, oh, you're a jobber. But actually, it was the best way to break in the business because you work with the stars. And if you knew how to wrestle and you came from somebody who broke you in the business, like Johnny Rods did for me. And they say, Who broke you in? Because that was a big thing back then. Uh, I'm one I'm from Johnny's school. I'm Johnny Rods's boy. And they already knew I was Johnny's boy. They said, Okay, you're good. When they saw you take bumps and you're good in the ring, they all want to wrestle with you and they want to give you. They never treated me like a J-Bo. They always gave me offense. I did my gimmick on that. I did the Heil Hitler, I did my German skit, you know, and the thing back then, you know, when you're breaking in is you want to go from, you got to get to Ribera's in Japan and you got to go to Puerto Rico. That was the two stops. And then, you know, for you to do the territories, you wanted to go to Memphis because everybody went through Memphis. But I went to San Domingo where there was a territory not too many people know about with Jack Beneno. So you're talking about going from WWF TV's to, um, I actually did a WCW TV. I went there, I went to uh, Puerto Rico to Japan to the Dominican Republic uh, to doing Memphis, Tennessee, to doing Carlos Cologne and uh, the WWC, you know, and then going back and forth to Japan and then getting a shot in ECW. So you're talking about making all the stops in the last era of uh, territory. So with all that experience, and then finally to get a shot at ECW, and, you know, be honest with you, like I say all the time, I, you know, I talk to Taz, we're all Johnny Ross's boys, you know. So I thought to him, I said, listen, I'd like to, you know, come in. And, you know, and big, big thing for me was I never knew how to eat humble pie because I was better than a lot of guys. I was too good for my own good. I was already working in the pros and I worked. I wasn't an indie guy. I was a company guy. And anytime I worked on the indies, I never wrestled guys who were, you know, just indie guys. I wrestled the stars that were on TV. So I was like kind of like a cut above everybody else and everybody said, well, why aren't you in the WWE? Why aren't you in the WWF? Why aren't you? And, you know, that's a whole different ball of wax, you know, with, you know, politics and Vince Russo and a whole bunch of stuff. But I had gotten to a point where I said, okay, let me go there, take my bag. I had just come back from the best trip, uh, my best tour of Japan from All Japan Wrestling. And here I am. I said, okay, I ain't got a job. I said, something's got to change. So I changed my attitude, changed my ways, I took my bag, went to ECW. And I earned my teeth there, and from there I went to WCW. And as soon as I got, you know, the chance to shine, I took off. And with Tag Team Champion, being a singles wrestler, you know, developing my character along the way, showing the people I could wrestle, because when you see a street tough guy, everybody knew I could wrestle in uh, ECW, but I had to reestablish myself on the big time with WCW. And I told him, I said, I want to show people I can wrestle. I just don't want to be this tough thug. I want people to know that I can put on tights and go. So and that's where, you know, it went. And then people forget that I was the first match on XWF with Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan. And I wrestled in that company also. So I made a lot of stops on the way, but it only enhanced my experience and gave me knowledge on how to help how to get to that point of the dress. Because how do you get to work with dress? You got to know how to work. You got to know your craft. You got to think off the box. What do you do in this situation? Yeah, and that's exactly it.
1: Now, as when I start when we started off the interview, I said you, know, you faced a lot of big names when you were in WCW. One of the big names that you faced was Terry Funk, and I know in other interviews you spoke about how that was a huge match at the time. What was it like facing guys like Terry Funk? And I know it was like the, near the end of his career, a Bam Bam Bigelow and guys of that elk what did that
2: mean you know at that point well guys you know like like i stated earlier when i broke into business i was wrestling guys of that caliber as a greenie as a as a rookie but then to go full circle you know what people forget is i wrestled Bret hart four times during that time when i was in wwf when i made it to wcw and i had my first match on the great american bash and Brett was the first guy to come up to me, came up to he called me over. He said, Vito, said, you've come a long way, you did a really great job, it's good to see you made it, you know. But there's a guy who saw me from green to making it as a major player in WCW, and a lot of those guys were happy to see me get the chance, because I paid my dues, I did everything I was supposed to, and here I am wrestling Kevin Nash, and wrestling Goldberg, and wrestling Terry Funk and Ric Flair, and Luger, and, you know, a whole, whole, Booker T, tagging with Booker T for a while. You know, when you get to be that, and you get to be a major player in the game, you know, Johnny the Bull was green, and I was his mentor, and I took care of Johnny, and then we became a, or a tag team champions. And wrestling at that point was putting me on par where I belong, not to say I was... Terry Funk's level or Kevin Nash level, but wrestling wise, I was on their level. I was on the same page with those guys. And I think that was the biggest thing. And they trusted me. I never hurt nobody. I took care of them. When was the last time you remember Kevin Nash ever getting suplexed on Monday Night Nitro? Who suplexes a seven footer? Who suplexes four hundred pounds of Bam Bam Bigelow? Yeah. Who goes toe to toe with Terry Funk where you actually you're watching the match, and you're like, "Wow, this is this is a real this is the real deal right here." Yeah. They're going at it. It's just, and there was no talking, there was no nothing. This is just working, guys. Yeah. And it was just a um, a tribute to the people who took the time to teach me, and I thanked them every interview because if it wasn't for those guys grooming me, I would have never have made it in the wrestling business, and that's what we lack today. It's interesting what do you mean what we lack today what, what do you mean by that like the, the teaching aspect of it the we don't have the guys the older guys in the wrestling business passing along the knowledge to the younger guys and we don't have the territories for guys to go and learn like in, Me- in memphis that's a whole different psychology but you learn everything there going to um to puerto rico that's a whole different psychology but you learn you know what I mean? And learning the psychology of wrestling and working on the fly. You know, how do you get to work in, in Puerto Rico, right, where that guy doesn't speak English, that guy doesn't speak English, that guy doesn't speak English, but you got to have a match and work in the separate dressing rooms. Wrestling is universal, right? It's only done one way. So you got to learn on the fly, call it in the ring. And if you're successful, you know you, you're crap. Same thing in Memphis, separate dressing room, separate dressing room, go in there and wrestle. You gotta know how to work, you know, and that's how what they taught you back then. A lot of these guys have to sit down and talk through their matches and go through every spot, but if you golf a bit went back to the old way, could these guys go in separate dressing rooms and go into the ring and have a match for 10 minutes?
1: Nope. One of the things that uh, you hear a lot about today, and and of course, the passing of a couple of years ago with uh, Dusty Rhodes was, you know, with promo class and you're hearing about how a lot of these, you know, scripted promos and stuff. And one of the things that watching some of the stuff leading up to the interview, you had a lot of, you had a, in wSW you had a lot of promo time, but they were usually, you know, short promos that were, and you had a really interesting style of just getting right to the point and getting your, you know, getting right there and getting the fans engaged. But was that one of the things that you learned in wrestling school with Johnny Rogers, something mean, you picked up in, w- in ECW and on the road. How did you get your promo style?
2: This promo style was done. You had 30 seconds. Got to get your date, your time, your opponent, make your point. If you make your, your your promo short and sweet and to the point, and they give you some points of what you got to hit, or you going out there, you think in WCW they scripted my promos? No. it's a video. This is what the scenario is. We got to make this. You got a minute. So it's okay. Let's do this thing. Good. ECW, the same thing. And in Puerto Rico, they didn't write no promos. And in in, uh, uh, in USWA, they didn't write your promos. When you go all over the world, they don't write your promos. You've got to know. And that's part of it. It's learning your craft, honing your skills, watching what the other pros do, how they do it. You know, when you, when you break up my wrestling arsenal, I've taken one move from just about every great wrestler and I have to put it into my own way. You know, uh, if you look at the mafia kick, you talk about Shawn Michaels and the super kick, right? You talk about the elbow drop, this comes from the macho man. You talk about the leg drop, comes from Hogan. When you talk about when I did my karate thing, where did that come from? I do with the butcher because he did the same thing. When you see that flurry, because the people are watching, they're looking like, oh my God, this is great. Uh, uh, biting people. Um uh, George Steele. When he used to bite people, you used to you know, go and bite people, you know? And um, you know, uh, if you had a complaint about something, I went to my wife, you know, and my wife came along later, but I still incorporated in my awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. No, but you guys get the gist of it, right? Yeah. Oh, my my punch was one of the best punches in the business. Where did I learn that? I learned that from Buddy Landell. Buddy Landell and Beautiful Bobby had the two best punches. And I said, hey, buddy, you mind if I, you know, take, you know can I use your punch? No, Vito, go ahead. You, you feel confident? Throw it. I started throwing that. And they said, Vito, that's a great punch. Where'd you learn? And everything I learned, being a technical wrestler, right? Johnny rodge taught me the basics. But when you look at the guys who could wrestle, I, I, I was like considered like a half shooter because I could wrestle. I could mat wrestle and I could go on mat and I could wrestle with Olympians and gold medalists and guys who used to train that way. Guys who've been wrestling their whole lives. Be where'd you learn how to wrestle? I said, pro wrestling. They said you're full of shit. I said, no, honestly, I was a basketball player. When I came into wrestling, I learned how to wrestle in pro wrestling. But that's just me learning my craft.
0: So it's funny hearing you talk about kind of the old school and, and, and you know, guys learning from the older guys. Shane Helms had a was on uh, with Chris Jericho a couple of weeks ago. They did a like a kind of a, a basically a podcast. Right. And Shane Helms was the producer with the WWE for a little bit. And he talked about how the younger guys weren't really listening to the older guys, that they weren't getting better. They weren't really trying to get better. They were working out and stuff like that. But in terms of throwing a punch, in terms of like kind of the old school psychology, they weren't really – Getting better, kind of like some of the things that you talked about. They weren't trying to get better. Where do you think that comes from? Do you think it's just a matter of the old guys left and retired, and the, the young guys think that they
2: know better? Guys, was that something that you saw back then, guys? I was the biggest preacher, and you could hear my thing. I would say, "Do you want the truth, or do you wanted to lie to you?" The guys didn't like the truth. Got a lot of guys hated me for telling them the truth because I was brutally honest. Right but guys in today's world didn't have to earn it and learn on the road who gets paid to train go to a beautiful facility have a shower have you know teachers have classes you didn't have that back then you actually had to go out and learn how to wrestle you had to learn your craft on the on the fly right and those guys those things those values are not taught today and a lot of people think that they're, they're privileged. I'll give you an example. I, I've been on a Nia Jack thing for, for weeks, right? They brought her back. She was injured. She was all this stuff. She comes back. I'm dangerous. I'm going to rule the wrestling division. And then what is she doing on the flip side? She's doing TikTok, smiling and dancing and jerking and doing all that. And I'm saying they're trying to push you as a monster heel, but you're over here smiling and dancing. And then what happens? She lost the push. Did everybody notice she lost the push? Right, so then, what did that tell you? You're not putting full stock in what you believe. In. If you're going to be a heel, be a heel. You want to be a babyface, be a babyface. You don't go on doing it. Heels don't sell pictures. Babyfaces make all the money, but it's the heels that make money for the babyfaces because if the heels, you know, doing the good job, that means that the babyface is selling his merch and he's making a killing because they feel sorry for him. They 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 um they want to want the babyface to win. Like Cody Rhodes, and today they brought Cody Rhodes to the title match with uh, Lance Hoyt or Lance Archer with Jake the Snake Roberts, right? What's the old rule? Babyface chases the heel. Did Cody need to win that title? They just killed off that monster from Japan. So where do they go with him? Down the shitter, right? They brought in Brian Cage. They put him with Taz. All of a sudden, he's going right to a title shot. After he loses, where do you go with him? He's down the shitter. You can't start at the top because there's only one way to go is down. If you work your way up, if you keep fighting and grinding and doing this, Cody Rhodes, he's the boss of the company. How are you supposed to tell the boss who's the booker and owner how to do a wrestling match or where to book him? Can't. If you have a writer and somebody who's there, just to say if they use On Anderson and Jake the Snake Roberts as their lead bookers and let them write the storyline, they could have made Cody Rhodes, a biggest star in a couple more months to win the title and beat the monster and have this all, oh my God, maybe the fans would have come back to seeing it. But right now, you beat you beat the biggest guy in the company, okay, where do you go from here? There's, it's a dead issue. Because yeah, think- you're, you know what I mean, guys? There's nowhere for these guys to learn. Yeah. And Wrestling 101 works. The psychology of wrestling works if you apply it today's wrestlers and kids today don't want to hear it. They all want to be stars without putting in the work.
1: Yeah, we've had this conversation on the podcast recently. And- Vito, I'm
2: definitely more on your side.
0: Corey and I have debated this a lot, and I've, I've been on your side. You can't, you can't push
2: guys to be in the main event when they just got there. Make them work for it. How, Corey, how do you know how to be a main eventer if you, only, if you, if you just bought a ticket to the show? It's like, do you ever hear the saying, like, you're you're there for a cup of coffee? Well, you don't even have your cup. You're still drinking out of a plastic cup. I don't
1: disagree with you, but I do think, though, especially when you're a new company like AEW, I think that the idea of shock and awe has to work sometimes where you bring in a big name, and WWE has done this for years where you keep on telling the fans that you're going to push somebody, and then you wait so long to push them that by the time you push them, nobody cares anymore. So when you bring in, you know, these bigger stars or these ex WWE guys, which they, of course, bring in mostly way too many of them, but you know, like bringing in a Brody Lee or a Lance Archer or you know Brian Cage on a lesser extent, you don't know how many people watching either Impact or Lucha Underground. If you don't put the, if you don't push them right away, I think there's the idea that they lose that freshness and that impact. I mean, everybody wants to see, you know, a Darby Allen or a Sammy Guevara yeah, you know, do something that. But your right idea,
2: there. what you're talking about, of pushing, right? You have the wrong objective of what a push is. Pushing somebody doesn't mean you put them in a title match and make them lose. Pushing somebody is building a story and a base and, a, and a building their character so the people enhance it and embrace it to either get with you or get against you. Okay? So you have the wrong idea of what a push is. Lance Archer came in and he should have went through three or four or five weeks of killing people then getting to this point with the title, beating Cody Rhodes, cheating, using a foreign object. Then having Cody trying to defeat him, the guy gets disqualified, foreign object, disqualified, no disqualification. Then it's a lose a leaf town match for the title, right? Now what does Cody do? He gets the gimmick from the guy, and he uses it on him, and he wins the title. Everybody's happy. He slayed the giant which they don't do today. And then what happens? You go up and you start your own program and do this. Who is dying on WWE TV right now? Drew McIntyre. They made him a heel. He was ruthless. He's being a jerk. Okay, you got with him, right? Then he's smiling, shaking his shoulders, smiling to the people. You ask, who are you shucking and jiving and smiling to? I think he's going to get booed. When they start live crowds again, he's going to get booed. I think his babyface push has been not great at all. Horrible. Horrible. And then, look, did you notice that he's starting fights and not, and not letting people bring the fight to him? And what is the secret of being a champion, which nobody follows today? What is the secret? When you watch Big Vito as champion in the hardcore division, Big Vito always took a beating. He got his ass kicked. But Big Beetle made a comeback, and he beat up. What do you do? You take an ass kick, and you put the other guy over. You never bury the guy. You always say, I'm fight, facing a tough fight tonight. Uh, this guy's a street fighter from Biloxi, Mississippi. I heard he's, you know, he has a knockout rate of such and such. You know, I'm, I know I'm going to you know, have a tough fight on my hands. Because then at the end of the day, you beat somebody.
0: They haven't done that with Drew. Drew is saying he's going to Claymore kick everyone. It's going to be easy. He's smiling on his way to the ring. He's counting down when he's going to Claymore kick people, and then he's doing it. Like, you see what he did with Andrade, all those matches with Andrade. He's like, I'm
2: going to kill Andrade, and he killed him. You know, a lot of people could say what they want about John Cena, right? When the smartest thing you could have did with him and what people didn't do, right, uh, Roman Reigns, buried John Cena on promos, right? AJ Styles buried John Cena on promos. They didn't like him because he did this and did that. But these guys, when you go out there, right, instead of saying, you know, John Cena, you've been on top of the mountain for a long time. You're a 15-time world champion. You have numerous amounts of belts. You've got the, you have the best KO rate. You've got the best winning percentage. You know, all the things I want to be in the WWE, I want to beat your record. But first, I have to beat you. You just put John Cena over. It. So now John Cena can't come back and knock you. He can't come back and make you look small or embarrass you. You put the guy over. So now John Cena, in turn, has to put you over. I can insult you, berate you, like the famous AJ Styles promo or the famous Roman Reigns promo, when I'm still here because you can't do your job. Right. But it was true.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what? a tough thing. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it, okay. it's a tough thing where we've had a discussion many times on the podcast where the basically the last star the WWE truly built was John Cena. And that's what, 15 years ago now. And you know you try to build a star in Roman Reigns, and you know a lot of these other guys, and we'll see if AEW builds stars because you know the young Bucks and Kenny Omega of the world were stars before they got to AEW. So I mean, you uh, know,
2: you, you you're you're an AEW fan, absolutely, okay? absolutely, All right? Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some insight. In Japan, Kenny Omega is a giant. Hair hair in, yeah. in the states. He is so vanilla, they kicked him out of Baskin-Robbins, okay? He's not a flavor. He is so plain. It is not funny. He's not believable here in the state, okay? You look at um, um, the Young Bucks, smartest guys in the business right now, right? You know why? They haven't put the titles on them. They're getting their asses kicked every friggin' week. They don't need to be champions. Everybody everybody thought Young Bucks were going to be champions. They're getting their asses kicked by everybody in this arena, and they're entertaining and putting guys over. Chris Jericho, he came in. He had to be champion to give the company uh, the ability, make it credible, make it believable, right? He put on all this weight. He did this gimmick, does all the stuff. Chris Jericho lost, uh, lost his title. Has he been in a title fight since? He's putting over all the rest of the guys he's working with because they're working with Chris Jericho. He's trying to build his group. He's fighting with guys who are are outside the group. He's building seven or eight guys by there. All right, now, okay, they had a lag in ratings, so they brought in Mike Tyson. Now, Chris Jericho's going to fight Tyson. That's big news. Big fight, big players, big news. Before that, you know, AEW was trending, and they were just going on a straight line. Nothing more, nothing less. Now they got Tyson. Tyson against Jericho. All of a sudden, their interest just jumped up a million times. Cody Rhodes didn't move the needle one bit. He won the title. Ho-hum. He jumped off the cage and did a moonsault. Okay, stupid move. When he got... Another thing. When they were pushing Sean Spears... Sean Spears came in with all the hype. I just finished saying this on another podcast. Sean Spears hit the chair shot from hell... Because ever since he busted his friend's head open, the owner of the company's head open, he's been on a thing with Job City. He is the only guy to do jobs with a manager in wrestling right now.
1: That's an interesting point. There, I mean, that that, that, that is one thing that I just. I'm sorry, Jason. One thing that is interesting when you brought up before with Cody and the Bucks and (coughs) Kenny Omega, I do think though, I, I agree with you that going back from it, Lance Archer should have won the title. You have the heels champion. But I do think that one of the major differences is that Cody had lost every feud that he was in leading up to him, leading up to that. And I think at a certain point, especially if you're going to go and have your company be on the idea where you're showing records, which you could say is right or wrong, you know, professional wrestling. But, you know, Cody basically loses every feud. The Bucks have lost pretty much every feud. Kenny Omega, as you said, is, you know, as vanilla as all can be because he's not, you know – the guy. So at a certain point, I think the the EVPs, whatever you want to call them of, of AEW, have to stop putting over everyone and, and actually remember that they're stars themselves.
0: But the, the, the company's only been around since September, Corey. Like they, they just started. That that's where we that's where him and I disagree.
2: How could you say they're stars if the only two guys who were major stars coming over were John Moxley and Chris Jericho? Cody Rhodes was a flop in the WWE. He had six different gimmicks he couldn't get over. You're saying he's a star. The Young Bucks, never been to the WWE. All right? They're independently well-known. They don't have national TV coverage. You're saying these guys are stars, but only two guys with recognizable um, pedigrees are Moxley and Jericho and Swagger. Right? You got Dustin Rhodes' dust right? you got the biggest guy in the company and a guy who's probably the most over who they're not using in belly gun. And he should be the heavyweight champion. DX, put him with somebody else. Recreate that scenario. You think the people are not going to watch? I'm going to replace road dog. And they have tryouts. Go ahead, man. uh, What
1: a solution in in a a long-term, you know, causing a long-term, uh, Problem of, you know, where we just going to put the younger guys like the Darby Allens and the Sammy Guevara's, you know, longer and longer to uh, you to care about them. You know, if you continue to have a Billy Gunn or those but, type of guys, you know. But people,
2: I'm, I'm, are, but people are caring about them in the small role. You're talking about guys who are small fishes in a big pond right now who have no TV credibility. These guys are new, they're not credible. They're not credible stars to like what you're saying because they have no, they weren't in WWE. They didn't have a TNA run. They have no TV time. Kenny Omega to America is, 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 is nothing unless you watch Japanese wrestling or to the wrestling, if the, the marks or the smarks of wrestling. You know, they only know Kenny Omega from Japan. Where did he make his fame? Japan, just like Gallows and Anderson. Japan, AJ Styles. He was popular in TNA, he went to Japan. Finn Balor, where did he go to get his popularity? Japan, right? And then when these guys come over here, look at Nakamura. Nakamura, he came over with all this stuff. He's going to overtake Brock Lesnar. He's the baddest ass in the rest. And where is he? Once he hit John Cena with that suplex and almost broke his neck, and I says, okay, they pulled him back. They gave him the title. They pulled him back yeah, because they can't trust these guys. Because they're they're not the impact players. How many A players are in the WWE right now? You have Edge. You have Orton. You have Brock Lesnar. Those are A players. Everybody else is the B level. In AEW, how many people do you have that are A players? Uh, Let's be honest. Max and Jericho. Right? And and when you get in uh, programs with those two guys, the people are going to watch. The rest of the card, they're not watching. Jericho is taking eight guys with him every time. They're trying to make guys. That's interesting. Uh, Vito, you've you said a couple of times uh, like how
0: if a wrestler is not careful and they're, they're injuring people more, that maybe their push will be they'll be they won't be pushed. Did you see that ever in your career where you know a wrestler was going to go on a big run, get a big push, but maybe they weren't the most careful workers? with others and they, were, they weren't pushed as a result.
2: Guys, when you, when you think about hardcore stuff and you think about that kind of, that stuff, you think about ECW, right? Sure. How many guys actually got hurt on that roster that you could remember? Maybe Dick Grimes falling off the scaffold. That was extreme, right? Yeah, other than like insane. insane right, stuff. other insane things. But you talk about guys who wrestled hard, We wrestled safe, We didn't hurt each other. There were some hard-hitting matches in there, and there were some good impact shots. But at the end of the day, everybody was walking out of there, and that was the extreme, right? You talk about today when these guys are trying to emulate and do these crazy dives, crazy things. They don't know where they're going to land. They don't know what they're doing. That's because these guys never learned the craft of doing a hardcore match. They never learned the craft of perfecting their, the, these moves, you know? When you do a hardcore match, it isn't bang, bang, bang. It's wrestle, pick up a toy. Wrestle, pick up a toy. Wrestle, pick up a toy. You know what I mean? You can't bang somebody the whole time. You know what I'm saying? And, like, when you do that, like, I don't know where I rank on the greatest hardcore wrestlers of, heart, uh, of all time, but I would hope I'm in the top 20, because I never killed nobody, and anybody I well, I might have killed some people. But Don't I mean, <laughs> but there's my wife interfering again, she probably, she just got her divorce papers from the from the <laughs> delivery man. Anyway, but when you talk about it, in WCW, who got hurt? Um, uh, Mike Awesome gave his uh, running powerbomb to Booker T. Hurt his neck, um, from what I remember. Then you had the concussion with um, Goldberg and Bret Hart. If you talk about two notable things, you talk about Vampiro breaking his neck one time. Mm -hmm. All right. With uh, Mike Awesome. Mike Awesome might have been a little careless, right? But when you talk about overall back then, who got seriously hurt and who broke the neck unless it was done on purpose? Van Bader was reckless. He was a big guy. He hurt people on purpose. He He was a bully. But, you know, overall, and when he got it back, when did he get it back? Didn't he have his eye socket poked out? Didn't he get into shoot fights in Japan because they were tired of his shit? Absolutely. But when you're safe and you wrestle hard and you hit hard, hit hard but hit safely, you know, there's a big difference. Today, you see all these flips and doing all this stuff and they're diving out of the ring. A lot of these guys ain't catching guys. They're falling on their faces.
1: So you think it's more flash than substance with the the newer generation? I mean, I'm not trying to say older generation versus new, but is it you like you could, like you just said with uh, guys not catching guys? You had on the go home show for double or nothing. You had Phoenix, uh, Curtis shoulder as a result of the guys not being there, most likely to catch him. And safety is you got to trust the guy you're working with. But like Baker, said,
0: Baker tore her her tibia in a move that looked
2: ugly at the time. Guys, you, you sit. Cody Rhodes, right? He did that moonsault off the top of the cage. He broke his toe. Was, was it necessary for him to go to the top of the cage? And Absolutely do a not. Saw? No. He tried to do his own thing to get over and do his own pop. Right? All right. When he did the 10 lashes with the, with the MJ kid, right?
1: Okay, yeah.
2: Did he need to do the 10 lashes thing? Or is he trying to be tough? He's trying to prove. When you have to try to prove that you're tough, you're not tough. When you go out there and you're a tough motherfucker. Hey. Now, did it was there ever a time when you said vito LaGrasso was not tough? You just looked at me back then and you said, Man, that guy's tough. You know, even with a dress. Man, that guy's scary. I mean, he looks good, but he'll kick your ass in a dress. But I just had a tough persona. And that's the way I came across. There was not I was not a slouch. But a lot of guys don't have the R. If I can't go in a building. I just said this the other day. Talk, it's swag, fellas. And if I used to go into a building of 15,000 people and I used to say, I could kick every one of your asses, the people who do the ring crew, the people in the police department, the National Guard, everybody, I'm going to whoop all your asses. And I went out there and I showed everybody I could whoop your ass, right? When I, crazed, when I caused that uh, riot in Nepal, I went out there, 25,000 people, and I'm like, all right, these people be, really believe I can kick that ass. But There's 25,000, there's one of me. I don't think I'm coming out of this one, okay? That's when they got the National Guard and the Army and all this stuff. Those people believe 100%. I was a badass. And I, think, I think in AEW, and we can talk about
0: the WWE too, but I think with AEW, the one guy who stands out like that is Lance Archer. Like He's the guy who I feel like that they've pumped up. Now, I think I agree with you. I think he should have won the title. Whatever, but that's the guy I think seems like that guy could fuck somebody up,
2: right? But now, but because he lost to this, okay, the secondary title in in uh, in AEW, does he deserve a title shot with John Moxley? No. Right now, Moxley's going to fight this Brian Cage kid, who's just fresh off injury, hasn't been on TV, you know. Brian Cage reminds you of EC3. Good body, but he can't work. I don't think he's a good. I, I, it's not believable. He's not. He's not that a play. He doesn't have that oomph factor. Great body, great look You so put you him with Taz. So Go you ahead. think
1: that uh, when it came to Brian Cage, it was just because I've heard this multiple times from people that Brian Cage and like uh, Pentagon were guys who were helped extremely by editing from Lucha Underground, and when they went to Impact and they had to do uh, more live. They showed a lot of their flaws. So you think it was more like a Lucha Underground with the editing that made him look so good? Guys,
2: when you you, you guys see, but my point exactly is these guys are not learning their craft on the road. They're put in these spots. How do you know how to be a main eventer if you don't know how to wrestle and work in front of a crowd and get to that level? It's a process. Perfect example. You just said it. He was good at one indie promotion. One, go to Impact. Down, you go to the, uh, you're coming into other places. You're down, right? They have another kid. Uh, who's the kid? Do you think they, they brought in? He's from Ring of Honor. They brought him as a hitman, the Hawaiian kid, Jeff Cobb. Okay, they make a big fuss about Jeff Cobb. What? He's the next. He's the other version of Brian, right? Okay. What? What's what's so great about this Jeff Cobb guy? He's a wrestler. He could wrestle. But when you look at him, he got on AEW, very plain, very vanilla. There's no aura about him. There's no oomph about him, right?
1: All right I think that's a good place to stop part one of uh, this great interview with uh, Big Vito. You can check out Big Vito at the Big Vito brand on Twitter. And you could also check out Big Vito on Twitch at Twitch. TV backslash the Big Vito brand, and of course check out Big Vito on his homepage at thebigvitobrand.com, and of course uh, check out us on Twitter at WorkShootPod. and subscribe and rate on wherever you listen to podcasts: Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and be sure to do the same for our sister podcast. You don't know Jackie. Not sure if I agree with video about pushing uh, Billy Gunn, Jay, but
0: one, the one thing I agree with him more than anything that he said is a Drew McIntyre thing. I think he was this badass guy, and now he's a, this goofball. He's got this. He's he comes out, and he's, he's he's too cool for school. I think I think when he when he, when there's a live crowd, of fans are gonna boo him. Not immediately, but I think they're gonna boo him sooner rather than later i don't think the fans want a baby face who is they either want a total badass who's who acts like a badass walks like a badass talks like a badass or they want a daniel bryan guy they don't want this in the middle i'm sarcastic i'm a sexy irish man like who who cares
1: (laughs) i don't know
2: so anyway all right buddy good interview